This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. Thank you once again for allowing me um, the privilege of speaking with you. Before I do, I would uh, like a moment to pray. So uh, please be with me in prayer. God, thank you for the privilege of being in community together, for hearing your scripture read. God, I ask that you open our hearts and minds so that the words that I speak may connect in some way to our lives as a community and as individuals. Amen. We live in a noisy world. There are, so, uh, there are times that I don't even recognize how noisy the world is. I remember when I lived in Washington, D.C., I lived in a house, uh, and my bedroom overlooked the back alley, and then the front of the house was on a major route to a hospital. And it was so loud that when I moved to Claremont, California, and I had my very first apartment by myself, I had to sleep with a radio or television on because it was too quiet. Um, Noise was such a part of my life. Sirens and chatter and sounds of breaking glass which happened often in the back of the alley. (laughs) But when I moved to my first ministerial appointment, um, I was a single woman, and I found that my TV was on all the time. And it was mostly for that background noise. Um, It served as company for me. We live in a noisy world. Many of us wake up to noise, ringing, buzzing, radio blaring alarms jolts us out of our sleep. For some of us, it's the noise of a hungry pet or a small child wandering around the house or or crying, waiting to get up. We walk out the doors to noise, the din of cell phones and cars, the chattering of kids and colleagues. And for those who live in cities, we hear the roar of crowds and traffic all day long. Many of us work to, to the, the uh, work to noise, the furniture music of squeaky chairs and computer clicks and, and phones or machinery. We even play to noise, the endless white noise of televisions or stereos or computers, cell phones, Kindles. I borrowed it from my daughter. I had to remember what the password was. I had a moment of panic over here when I'm like, oh no. I don't know what her password is. I've even camped in the middle of the wilderness and we've had 10 campers next door with a stereo plugged in or a portable television. And I wonder, are we afraid there won't be enough to listen to in the stillness of the wilderness night? far away from the sounds of civilization? Maybe the bigger question, are we afraid to be alone? The people of ancient civilizations were fearful of being alone in an unpredictable world. These men and women had a host of gods and goddesses who could be safely located in available shrines and temples. 
And these various gods had very distinct images and faces. Temples were decorated with the images of gods they housed, and oracles would speak their messages for a certain price, of course. The oracle's message was important, but like our noise, their images were so very critical daily living. In fact, Israel's call to worship one god was really radical and pretty scandalous. One god hardly seemed powerful enough to handle everything. Now, every year, people of the Hebrew temple would come and gather in ritual. And during the Passover celebration, it's estimated that the population of Jerusalem would swell from about 50,000 to 180,000 people. Pilgrim worshipers would come from as far away as Persia, Syria, Egypt, Greece, and Rome to worship and make sacrifice in the big Jerusalem temple. People were everywhere. You, if you can imagine a couple of football stadiums full of people crammed together, elbow to elbow, merging into an immense organism that inched along narrow cobblestone streets towards the temple. Can you imagine the noise? Passover had brought centuries of worshipers to Jerusalem to celebrate their national um, story, their liberation of slavery from Egypt. The Israelite celebration differed from some of the others in town. People came to a temple to celebrate God who had no accessible images and no, spoke no direct words to the mass of people. In the heart of old Jerusalem was the temple, and in the heart of the temple, within its innermost sanctuary, was the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest was allowed to visit. And in the heart of the Holy of Holies, separated by Partitions and curtains set the Ark of the Covenant. This was the same Ark we just heard about that was carried, um, the same Ark that the Israelite priests carried with them as they wandered the desert for 40 years. And in the heart of that Ark was the throne, or mercy seat. Now the mercy seat was a flat slab of gold resting on top of the Ark, and guarding either side of the slab were golden angelic figures, or cherubim, their faces turned towards each other, and their wings arching over the mercy seat. And here between the cherubim and over the mercy seat was the throne thought to be the dwelling place of God, the God of Israel. Now on the Day of Atonement, it was on this mercy seat that the high priest would sprinkle the sacrificial blood of the animals sacrificed at the temple. Here's the curious thing. The cherubim did not reside on that mercy seat. God's presence was nowhere portrayed within this Holy of Holies or anywhere else within the, teacher, uh, the temple. All that greeted the high priest was a blank slab of open space, a void an absence. In other words, the most sacred space where God was in the midst of the Hebrew people was empty. What the Israelites carried with them through the wilderness and protected with their lives was a seat with nothing on it, but everything in it. And to go to Jerusalem to visit God, to make pilgrimage, to find mercy and comfort, was to visit empty space, the holy absence and holy silence of the holy space between the cherubim. 
Silence and absence were key parts of the worshiping experience. The absence of image and or talking idol is how the Israelites were able to experience the the living presence of God's holiness in their midst. And this, of course, is partly why Jesus became so angry with what he saw in the temple. The temple over time had become a noisy marketplace, not unlike the rest of Jerusalem. The temple uh, experience required vendors and money changers. Once a person arrived at the temple, they needed to purchase an unblemished animal for sacrifice. As you may imagine, traveling a long distance, it was a lot easier to buy your lamb when you got to the temple. Luckily, as we learned here, there were merchants merchants right there in the temple ready to help you with all your sacrificial animal needs. Even the half-shekel temple tax that every adult man was required to pay depended on assistance from the money changers. Now, if you've ever crossed the border from one country to another, you've been to a money changer, right? Canadian stores expect you to pay for merchandise with Canadian dollars or whatever they're called. Uh, Irish stores want euros. Bolivia, you need Bolivianos, you know, lots of currency. At the temple, you needed shekels. Now, you might think that the priest could have taken the coins and changed them later, but the complicated part was the Greek and Roman coins had pictures of gods on them. Even Caesar was considered or believed to be a god. And you couldn't take a coin with an image of an idol into the temple. You had to exchange it for a more appropriate coin and, of course, paid a fee for that privilege. That's what the money changers did. And as far as we know, this was an ordinary day at the temple. It's true that the selling of animals and exchange of coins exploited the people, but this was nothing new. So why did Jesus himself, who experienced the same old scene every year when he traveled to Jerusalem for Passover, why did he get so angry? The merchants and the money changers had been doing business at the temple for some years. Everyone knew how the system worked. There's no indication that people were complaining. People just knew that's how things were. Now, it's always annoying when you're being taken advantage of, but we've all learned to tolerate a certain amount of it, right? A certain amount of exploitation. I mean, anytime we buy Christmas presents, Easter eggs, scary costumes, Valentine's Day cards, our purchases are lining the pockets of store owners and manufacturers. We pay baggage fees and banking fees and parking fees. Nowadays, the stores prefer that we pay them with a little piece of plastic and we pay for the privilege of spending our money. We're used to that stuff. So what's the big deal? Why is Jesus so angry? Jesus saw the temple being abused and he didn't mean merely the physical place where people were worshiping. A sacred space was being violated. Focus on the miraculous works of God distorted and molded around convenience and profit. I'm going to repeat that. Focus on miraculous works of God were distorted and molded around convenience and profit. Kind of sounds familiar. 
Jesus' rampage in the temple was partly a reaction against the intrusions of unholy noise and unholy images into a sanctuary of holy silence. Jesus saw that the temple site was gradually being transformed from a center of spirituality that led one to greater silence and a greater space for holiness into a place of simply greater hustle and bustle. The crush of crowds and commerce threatened to fill in the cracks of holy absences. And the whole promise and experience of God was overshadowed by doing church business as usual. It's really easy to follow into that trap. Church business overshadowing holy silence and experience. By cleansing the temple of all this noise pollution, Jesus sought to restore the purity of the temple only by regaining the sanctity of silence. And the silence of the sanctuary could, (coughs) and only in the silence of the sanctuary could the Jews hope to hear the speaking absence in their midst. So um, I've I've been chatting with some of you, but um, nowadays I'm a teacher. And I really love pair share. I'm not going to make you do that today. But I am going to ask you to reflect. I'm going to ask some questions. And I want us to reflect on those. And I'm going to give just some short moments of holy silence for that reflection time. So I invite you to reflect on the questions that I ask. Um, My first question is this. Are we afraid to listen for God's speaking absence? in our own lives. What kind of noise have we let into our temples in order to avoid listening to the speaking absence. What imaginings of God are preventing us from finding the mercy seat of help and healing? In our families, Do we let busy schedules, old feuds, and bad habits drown out the speaking absences? In our work, do we let concerns about getting ahead or being left behind and making the cut drown out the speaking absences? 
in our communities? Do we let fear, prejudice, and despair drown out the speaking absences? You see, when Jesus himself became the new temple, the new mercy seat for God's presence, he made it possible for each one of us to become temples. If the temple is truly the dwelling place of God, then the temple of God is no longer to be thought of as a physical structure in Jerusalem or any other structure for that matter, but in the person especially in the person of Jesus Christ. This means that the temple of God today can be found in the hearts and minds of all those who honor Jesus Christ, wherever they may happen to be. And this is what Paul speaks of when he talks to the Corinthians. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Jesus became a holy place so that we might each become a holy place. Jesus became the new mercy seat that we might each become a mercy seat. By taking God's holy of holies out of stone temples and bringing it into the center of his own life, Jesus made the encounter with that divine presence possible for all people. And while we can experience God even in the smallest of interactions, we can truly hear God in the absence of business as usual. We can profoundly hear God in the speaking absences of our lives. So make sure you make uncluttered space, space to hear God in your lives. Thanks be to God. Amen.